0: Hello, and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. I'm here today with Daniel Lee. Daniel spent 15 years building his career in corporate America before deciding to take a new path and become an acquisition entrepreneur. In 2020, Daniel purchased Windura, uh, a premium window and door replacement company in the Kansas City area. Man, it's great to have you on the show today. Welcome, Daniel. And uh, uh, let's, let's just jump right in. All right. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. The place I always like to start, and anybody's listening to this show, they know this first question I'm going to ask you is kind of how did you get started? What what had you make the shift from you know corporate America to wanting to own your own business, and it more specifically, buying one as opposed to doing the I'll go out and start start something.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a question that I get a lot, and it's kind of interesting you know, thinking thinking back, and so. I started my career, I feel like um, I was supposed to, I went to college, I got a job with a big company, I worked hard, worked my way up, uh, got promoted, moved to another company and opened new doors. Um, And it really started, I think, when I started to think about entrepreneurship or at least doing something on my own, uh, I had spent time in more the operational side, uh, on the claim side of an insurance company. Uh, for you know the better part of of twelve years, and I found myself looking for something more and there was this opportunity to take a regional sales manager job and so um, I applied for it. I spoke to the vP asked if they would consider me, and jumping from the claim side to the sales side is not something that's done. it's like operational to sales so in you know career wise it was it was a pretty big risk, and it was a move that just was the the path wasn't paved by um, a lot of people in front of me. So that gave me an opportunity to get out in the field and work with insurance agents. And I had this great team that worked all the way, all around uh, the Southern Midwest. And so I traveled to different states, meeting independent agents with my team. And that really got me exposed to the agency as a small business. Then it just happened to be the product that we sold was small business insurance. So I'm talking to my team to their agents about small businesses that they are running as agencies, and then the small businesses that you're trying to insure. And I just found myself just fascinated with uh, the inner workings of an agency, the inner workings of a small business, and had the perspective coming from large corporations. I had, had great training, great mentors, all this support system I really felt like there was something I could add to a small business, and I, I cite the difference, though, in the entrepreneur. As the entrepreneur had always had a, had a the confidence, or maybe just didn't see it as a risk uh, to believe in herself to jump in and um, start start a business or buy a business. And so I got to a point. I spent three years on the sales side. Was really, really invaluable in uh, sales to go well with my operational background, and so I, I really think it's those last three years of my corporate career that gave me that to help give me the confidence, to start looking for a business. And I decided, I yeah, I think the date is like March twenty third, twenty nineteen. I just I put a plan down. I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm going to do it. And so within the next three years. I'm going to exit my job, and I'm going to buy it. From there, I started to go on a search, and I thought about being, you know, starting an insurance agency, buying an insurance agency, all the different, you know, franchise, all different models. Um, I settled on um, um, acquisition entrepreneurship. There's this book uh, called Buy Then Build uh, by an author, Walker Deibel that I just stumbled upon. First of all, there's not a lot of books out there on buying an existing business. There's one by a couple Harvard Business Review professors and then Walker's book. And I literally followed it to a T and uh, met with business bro- brokers in town and found Windura as well as other businesses. But um, then transitioned into acquiring Windura. Really, we, we put the APA on paper really the almost the the month that uh, the entire country shut down for COVID. So we kind of worked through that rockiness and um, eventually before, before the end of the year 2020 uh, finalized the purchase and uh, have been at it for about a year and a half now.
0: There you go. That's it. <laughs> I actually had him on the show a few weeks ago. Was a brilliant guy, really, really down to earth guy for all the knowledge he has in his head. So, uh,
1: Well, it's a, and I've recommended it to a lot of people. It is literally a playbook. And there are two things that uh, were really influential to me is the first thing that he talks about is treat it like you're interviewing as to be the CEO of this company, not like somebody's trying to sell you, sell you a bill of goods, and I think to, we go into that transaction thinking, you know, hey, what, you know, what, what what are they trying all to hide? Where are all the skeletons in the closet? And there are going to be things you don't expect, which that's just part of the acquisition a um, process. Uh, the, the other thing is, you know, I went to a business broker to find it, and. That in you know those are businesses that are ready to. And I created a one-page bio about myself and had all the things a business broker would care about. My professional qualifications. Um, I even put just a real snapshot of my net worth. I had con- connected with a lawyer, a CPA, a small business banker, or SBA banker, and put forth that hey, look, I am. I know what I'm looking for, and most importantly, I had a target statement. What I'm looking for because that's the first question you get. What type of business you're looking for. And, uh, you know, at first my answer was just, you know, I'm just a guy wanting to leave the um, corporate side and there, there's really not a lot of businesses that just match that. And so I, I came up with a statement based upon my experiences, my strength, what, what I like to do, my financial capability. And just started knocking on business brokers' doors and asking to see their listing. And um, fortunately, I was, I was sitting in this office, and uh, this broker in town was was bringing me a couple of deals. And I was looking through them, and you know, considering do I sign the NDA. And just lo and behold, there had been this one the deal had just fallen through. Seller finance, sorry, buyer financing fell through, or something like that. And it was another broker's, and he brings it in. I first I. Um, you yeah, know, I, I shrug it off. It's somewhat related to the construction industry, which I wanted to stay away from. And then as I just started doing due diligence about other companies, you know, I had this one as the bottom of the stack. I dusted it off, started looking at the financials. Oh, okay. You know, like, you know, it's, it's checking, it's checking all my boxes. And so I got interested in it. And then um, started to hit it off with the owner as the owner introduced us, um, the business broker represented the owner and n- not, n- not me. And uh, so the owner and I uh, essentially just really had values that aligned. Um, there was quickly a sense of trust between the two of us and we really just hammered the deal out ourselves, used the broker when, when necessary, which is, which is pretty minimal. Uh, so, a, you know, we 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 still remain in contact and kind of pinch ourselves that we feel like the deal was was really perfect for both of us at the right time.
0: That's brilliant. what well, I just got off the uh, interview in another uh, gentleman in the mergers and acquisition space, and he is all in on the human connection. So he, you know, he's he even said on the, on the podcast this morning. The um, he, he said, I think he said, like sometimes as many as eight to 10, I think his record 16 calls happen before he sees the financials. Uh, he just really gets into like what it is they need to accomplish, what it is they're dealing with, you know, kind of what is the state of the business, you know, on a personal level to them and uh, looks to solve a problem for them. So it sounds like you guys made a report because you both had, uh, you both cared about what, what the end goal was you know, and, and were willing to work towards seeing seeing what lined out.
1: Well, I, um, I, I remember the phone call. I remember where I was sitting in my house and I've got this book or this notebook that I just take notes in every morning as I'm thinking and through my journey. And I had prepared for the call, wanted to ask a few questions. And I distinctly remember asking two questions that I think had an impression on him. I asked him, you know, tell me about the culture and how you built it and what are you most proud of? I didn't jump down to the EBITDA. I jumped down to the emotional stuff. And because this, you know, he had started this when he was simil- similarly, my, I'm 42. He had started this when he was in his 40s and making a big step in his life. So handing it over to another individual was was very, very personal. And um, I think there was a lot of reputation wrapped up in it and wanting to know it's going to go to a good place. It's going to... It's going to continue on with the reputation, the legacy, and then take care of the employees. He's got long-term employees that we inherited and have been very fortunate. They've stuck with us, but he wanted to make sure that as he exited... It felt really good that it was handing off to the right place. Um, and so that's that's the two questions that I started with. And it just seemed to you know be a great point to jump off of. We got all the nitty-gritty financials and what's this and what's that. But if you're patient enough to wait to get there to see if you have a connection, then you've got a chance to, to – um, have some of the honesty come out of, of you know so for example if if they trust you they they, they want you to take this business and, and that was my goal I wanted h- the owner to want to sell me the business and then they might say you know we've had a good couple of years but we really ran into this bump back in 2018 that we didn't do so well and we kind of tripped o- we tripped over that so you want you're going to want to watch out for that instead of you know glossing over it to make your last three years look really really great
0: yeah so You've, you've bought this now you've, you've you've been running for almost a little over a year and a half right i think i was looking at your yeah. LinkedIn profile a year and seven September. months right what yeah. is your yeah. game plan now are you looking to acquire similar businesses and add them in or are you are you you bought your one you're going to build it and run it for a while what's the you know an acquisition entrepreneur we don't stop with one so i'm curious you know what's your mindset are you looking to uh, do a a growth through acquisition or are you uh
1: Yeah. So, so, so great question. And my mind was, so, um, I believe it had, the business had grown to the edge of being, um, sustainable for, um, just one entrepreneur. So it was, uh, the, the, the owner and his, uh, son who ran operations. So, so he ran sales, the son operations, and they've had salesmen in and out and, and then a team of installers, but it was right there on the edge of just being too much. And I think had he kept the business, he would have scaled it back to make a little manageable. So, um, this is a 20 year old business. So it is outside the five years. It's a $2 million business when I bought it. So above, you know, above that million dollar threshold where it was going to, you know, it's, it's sustainable. It, uh, Uh, there's a product out there, there's a market out there, there's a process. And so I feel like, and I share the analogy of, you know, um, he raised the kid till he was 18. And then now it's my job to take it into the next chapter. And so um, our thought is to grow organically. The majority of our customers are uh, referrals, repeat. And what's interesting about our business, there's a lot of repeat business because it's a it's both a high ticket item, but then also something that you can, you can chunk out. You can, you, you, unlike a roof, unlike a kitchen, you can't do half a kitchen or it doesn't look great or can't do half a bathroom. You can just do half of your home and windows and also do your kitchen at the same time and then come back and then upgrade your door. And, um, so there, there's a lot of repeat business. And so our, our thought right now is to grow organically, uh, develop a team that can handle the business, which is one of the unique things in our industry is having our own on-staff team. Many competitors use subcontractors, which we feel like that kind of degrades the product that we're trying to deliver. So uh, no real plans for any further uh, acquisitions down the road. I'll, always open to that. I tell other people I like, I like the model of uh, the great game of business, if you've ever heard of that. Which is just down the down the road in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, what what they would do would be buy um, a business that that Windura also uh, pa- patronizes. So, like a painting business, so you'd bolt that on or something like that. Um, buying another window company doesn't necessarily excite me for growth right now, and I think it's because the culture that is established here. I really want to protect it. Sometimes when you acquire companies, I live in Kansas City. One of the the mergers that we studied uh, in MBA school many, many years ago about biggest failures was Sprint and Nextail. And uh, being from the tech space, you probably you probably know that. And there are people here that still, that still remember that as a culture clash. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm protecting against. Um, I want to create a business where we are... Um, we're serving the business, the business serves us as we serve our customers, and it's it's sustainable. I can take a vacation one we can we can have somebody choose to take another role and it doesn't it doesn't sink the business and we're there to serve our customers for many years to come
0: so I get the the cultural thing, but i don't I've yet to see a faster way to scale a company. Uh, especially if you look at like what you've got in the, in the windows and door space, I've got some background in real estate. I own a pest control company. It's one of the ones I bought. And, um, I used to own the local RIA, So the real estate investors association, and I made most of my money like in the portfolio of houses we have. So, uh, so I've got that space and spent plenty of money on windows and doors. Um, but you know, if you look at, there's a, probably other people in your space that are doing this. Maybe mm-hmm. not doing it as well as you are. And when you buy them, you don't necessarily have to buy, you know, what you what you bought was your cornerstone. You bought the culture, the business, and everything else. You can also buy companies that have customers, list, repeat business. Right. They have, you know, installers, contracts and, you know, contracts and installers, contracts with, you know, developers, other stuff. But they don't necessarily manage as well or anything else they they would, the, the employees there, I promise you there's somebody in your, in your area where the employees would be glad for somebody else to take over because they know the owner's burned out. So Mm -hmm. it would, I don't think that necessarily every purchase would disrupt your culture. You just have to, you have to really look at what's out there. You know, there are a lot, especially in the services industry where most people are out in the field. There are a lot of these little service industries, which I say is almost cultural lists. Um, people show up, they go to work, they leave, and, and right. there's no real commodity. Like I mean, what you seem to, like, what you value in your company is missing there, and that would be a, a value gain for some, you know, mom and pop shop that you know maybe they're only making six figures, uh, but and they're wanting to retire. That's an easy add-on for you, especially if you get them to structure some type of deal where you're not taking a big loan or put yourself in debt. You're paying them over time. So you do a creative finance structure where you give them a down payment. And then that over three to five years, you pay them for the rest of their business, and, and it pays for itself. Um, that's a, you know, it's we in, in, in the tech space, it's very common. If you look at things like Apple and uh, the big companies, they do what they call aqu- aqua hire. They acquire companies just for the talent. Right mm-hmm. there, there's probably a door and window shop in town that has a sales rep that kicks all you guys's butt. You know, and acquiring their little the owner wants to retire, acquiring their business. If you could keep that one sales guy, could almost double your like with with his sales skills, sales skills and your culture and your dedication to proper service and stuff like that, he would thrive. Right, right. right. So I, I would say, don't give up the whole concept. Like, ah, to disrupt no. the culture. Look around and see what's there. Uh, the other thing is like, I, I do believe in what you were saying earlier about the, uh, um, like buying similar companies. I'm looking at uh, doing something with the pest control company like that because, you know, things like cleaning services, the cleaning lady always finds the bugs first, right? So I'd like to have, you know, a kind of, don't want a franchise. I don't want to marry maid or something like that. But if I found a good 20 to 25 person cleaning business in Tulsa that, you know, would work beside my, my pest control company, we could pass business back and forth all the time, right? I would love to be able to go in and say, yeah, we treat your place for cockroaches. And if you, if you really don't want that powder left in the corners and all that other stuff, you know, let it sit for three weeks. And then my cleaning crew can come out for, you know, I don't know a hundred dollars and, and, and deep clean the place afterwards. And uh, you know, and then my pest control company can come back after the deep clean and only put that stuff in hidden spaces that you'll, nobody will ever see or touch. And you'll have the long-term residual and a really clean house. So that uh-huh. would be a beautiful acquisition. There are things like, you know, for, for what you do, that would probably be great. Uh, I would think like insulation companies. A lot of people are replacing their windows and the doors to try to get better thermal value for their house. So if you acquired a ther- like a spray foam insulation or even a pink spray, like they spray the insulation up in the attics, that would be a huge, an easy upsell for you. You're like, oh, you're replacing the windows because you're leaky. You know, I can scan your whole house and tell you, you know, with the thermal because you know, they have these thermal. Uh, right.
1: Where, where, where you're losing it.
0: Yeah. I can tell you where you're losing it. And then, you know, if it happens to be your attic or, you know, your walls, my guys can come in and spray foam or or, or insulate the place better, put better weather. Mm-hmm. Stripping down. The other thing you could do is like, um, you know, a handyman, right? Uh, if you found a good eight or 10 person handyman company, That's one of the things I'm looking for here, like for the pest control, because one of the best ways to keep bugs from coming in is exclusion, basically blocking, you know, filling in the cracks, putting new thresholds under the door, replacing weather stripping, that type of stuff, because they're crawling in. Right. So it's just a logical, you know, I would look at things that you could cross sell and upsell easily. It's just natural. Like you're probably referring some of that stuff out anyway, because you know if somebody goes, "Hey, what can you do for my attic? I want to really insulate the house or replacing the windows for this." You probably have a buddy in that space, right?
1: So. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we get referrals or give referrals for all sorts of things like that in the home.
0: Awesome. So we you've you've bought this thing, right? You've been running it for a year year and seven months. What lessons, like, what do you know now about the whole process that you wish you'd have known when you're out looking around for a business? Is there, is there some like, man, I wish I'd have known this before I got, before I jumped into this?
1: Well, um, you know, I'm learning more about, or spending time learning more about marketing than I ever have in, you know, my prior roles, I had great experience from sales, you know, sitting across from somebody talking about how to grow their business, but marketing to masses. And what we've spent our time on this last year is formalizing structure, Um, You know, create bringing in, you know, uh, IT systems. um, So and processes so we can continue to serve customers over and over and over. And it's not just relying on somebody's memory. Oh, I need to call Susie back or we need to do this or we're just moving across on the Google calendar. So so we have spent the last year trying to get sustainable. Um, over time, and trying to document that, and uh, with with automation where it makes sense, and and we've added people to the team, and so probably what I wish I knew more about is now we're switching to the phase, and I say that because that's that's kind of now we got the foundation, and now when we invite people into our house, we have a nice house that um, they they like to see. And, and so now we're, we're focused on is, is bringing more business in, whether that's from uh, referrals, whether that's through Google searches, whether that's f- through some affiliation and um, going around and around with the company that we use for marketing, just trying, just asking dumb questions. And, you know, you're just going to have to under, you know, help me understand this again and again and again. And so it, especially digital marketing and how you show up in search. I mean, it's just all been you know, being in a large corporation, that's just all done for you, uh, right. which is which is which which is really fun. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest things I wish I, I had known more about, or maybe that one of the gaps that I didn't under didn't fully understand when I got into it. But um, I'm fortunate to have a, a great team that we work with that's that's patient with me, and we're getting started. And I like to use the analogy: get our house in order, then we go up to the hill and we you know wave our hands and we let everybody know we're. We're here to help, so we're just kind of starting that phase as we work
0: through year two. Awesome. So, um, like, so in the in the digital marketing space, are they are you actually looking at locations and stuff? Do you target certain neighborhoods, like geo? That what they refer to as geofencing. So, as your uh, as your so my my master's degree is in marketing, by the way. So, if I go too too deep in this realm, just ah, let's let's back this up, but. Uh, I'm just curious, are, uh, do you guys have certain neighborhoods in your area, certain regions you're you're working with and uh, like as your marketing agency worked with you and said, hey, we're going to do geofencing is where that's just where your ads only show up in neighborhoods you're wanting to do business in.
1: Well, y- yes. Yes. Um... If, if I'm following you correctly, probably not those, you know, I haven't heard those, those particular terms, but there are definitely neighborhoods and zip codes that we work regularly in. And um, the, the reason people generally call us is in the Midwest, we've got all four seasons and prior to 2000, most of everything, windows and doors were made of wood. And if you don't maintain those things every year, they start to rot away. And so, um, our really sweet spot is a house that is thirty plus years old, um, from four hundred thousand to a million and a half, that are looking to upgrade their windows. So they have a problem. They got this beautiful home, but the front is south facing. You know, get all the rain that you send us up from Tulsa, and it just just eats into the front of the house. And you got this beautiful home. You got a nice front door, and you got this. Big, ugly black eye on your your front window. And so folks will call us to help us with that window, and they experience the beauty of it, the energy efficiency of it. They enjoy our team and the way we go about it. And so they call us back um, again and again. So we do have neighborhoods that fit that kind of demographic, that uh, the target customer that we have. And we've built out city pages. So as some of the – they search for a window replacement in Leewood or window replacement – uh, by Lionsgate. So we, we've got some neighborhoods where we haven't worked in. So we target some of our our presence by creating pages. We, we haven't got into any type of uh, digital advertising yet at the moment. Right now, if, if I can explain it correctly, we're placing little markers out there. So as people search for things, um, it's relevant to them. They drop into our site, um, fill out a form for some premium content,
0: and then we start to market to them
1: or they can uh, schedule an appointment right um, right through our website.
0: Okay. I got it. So um, walk me through the process you used. Uh, you talked about that, the, the buy then build actually had a step-by-step process. Walk me through that process and kind of, you know, when you're, when you, when you're building rapport and you're looking to buy this company, you know, was there anything else was like, was there a close second runner up? Like, if, you know, I probably should have bought this company or like, what was the process like?
1: Yeah. So I think it starts with understanding what you want. And that's the question. So so let's say you take the path that I did and you go to a business broker, or even if you're just having a conversation, somebody needs to know what you want. And that is a really tough question. Uh, Like, you know what you want, but it's really hard to articulate it. And so my process, I said I was very fortunate. I got a, a lot of leadership assessments, 360 surveys. And I just had saved all this stuff from my corporate career, and I would just just pick through it. And I came up with, all right, what are my strengths, and when do I, uh, w- when have I enjoyed my roles the most, and where have I seen the most success? And um, you know, I kind of came up with this framework of, all right, here's what I can add to the business. I don't need a bit, so I don't need a business where I need to be the number one sales guy. That's just not my background and and, and skill set. Whereas, you know, we were talking about insurance agencies before if you were that personality, that's where you really excel. Gosh, an insurance agency would be perfect because you're going to go uh, network with people. They're going to love you and you're going to teach them about insurance and they're going to sell to you. That just really wasn't where my experience was. It was 12 years more operational, three year sales. And so as I kind of reflected on that, um, the, the other thing that I found is delivering claim service was really delivering the invisible. It's not really a, I mean, it is a product, but it's an intangible product. So, you're delivering the service through people. So, I was looking for a company, a service based company that um, delivered through people and it had an established sales routine and was um, in need of operational efficiency. And I think I, it was like two to, two to 600 in SDE or something like that. So, so I have what I'm looking for the, oh, in the service industry. So, my success had been building teams, creating process directly with the public um, and, and with small business. And so I wanted to come into a role with an established team. And so, so that's what we had. I I had a a business that I purchased from somebody in the baby boomer generation. What I observed in my um, insurance career going out in agencies, um, oftentimes that entrepreneur had built the business to an extreme amount of success for themselves. And once it pays enough dividends to you, uh, that hard work's been done. So why invest digitally and why improve the process it, you know when it's when when it's serving your needs? and so I was looking for a place where, None of that was done just yet. They had created a sustainable business. There was room for improvement. I could come in, I could bring in a CRM, I could bring in some digital capabilities, and we could make the business a little bit more efficient while it still continued to produce income because of the revenue. Sorry, because of the the reputation out there. So I, I think the first place to start is really spend a lot of time. For me, it was like five thirty in the morning jotting in my notebook, reading some stuff, and it's really introspective to come up with that once you have that and I only took one meeting where I didn't know the answer to that question and once once I took that meeting and you know I was just a bumbling idiot um I just realized well i'm not gonna i'm I'm not going to do that again. Um, And so that's, that's what started some of my research. And um, then I came up with the target statement. Then it became really crystal clear of what I was looking for. And as I saw a deal come across my desk, theoretically, I knew, is there a place for me? What can I, what can I do? Okay. The owner's going to leave. Where can I sit? And I would say my experience is mostly in a general manager type of a role, um, and so I was looking for a company with a general manager type role. So if there wasn't a general manager, it wasn't something that I was that that I was looking for because you know where do I fit fit in? Um, so that was my number one criteria: can I fit in? Uh, then then we started to get in deeper and do I like the financials? Does it does it co- So I did an SBA loan. Does it cover the debt o- enough uh, that makes me comfortable to the ratio that the bank needs to the ratio that that I need and um, you know, it it it's amazing once you, once you have some laser criteria, how easy it is to weed everything else else out. It's kind of in life, when, when you decide what's important, it makes all the noise just kind of
0: go away. I got it. So the SBA alone. So I've heard that that's very doable, and I've also heard it's kind of a pain. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that said, tell me about the process that you had to go through. I know that you were... The, uh, there are some definite benefits of it, right? I, I know that they help do um, some of the mutual do uh, the due diligence and stuff like that. The SBA is going to do some of their own, so they might find something you missed. Um, but tell me, tell me your experience of that SBA loan process. So, um,
1: first thing I did is I don't remember how, or I asked I asked for a referral to an SBA lender, and mm-hmm. I met with that SBA lender ahead of time. Shared on my target statement and my one page buyer profile that I created and talked about can I qualify? What do I qualify for? What do you need? Um, And we started talking about my financials, my assets, my home, you know, everything like that and what the process would be like. And so the first thing I did was educate myself on the process. Um, And then, you know, it was during COVID. So it was um, a bit challenging. It is. You know, it's it's, it's it's interesting. It's it's difficult in a sense that there are repetitive forms. There's a lot of forms. There's information. You're like, why do you need this? Uh, but you really have to go come into it. And coming from the insurance world as underwriters, we asked a lot of questions that our insurers weren't quite sure why we needed it. So I was used to the paperwork and I went in with the mentality, just fill out the dang form. Don't question it. Just fill it out in triplicate if you have to. Um, and I would, you know, print it all out. I've got this scanner at home. It scans one page at a time. And I remember like sitting on the ground, one page, one page at a time. It was, it was brutal. Now it's really difficult, um, in a sense of there's paperwork and there's a lot of information. It's not diff, you know, it's not laying bricks every day for your life or hanging windows or, you know, lugging a window up the side of a house. Um, so you, you have to put the, the difficulty in perspective, but, um, my process. So the business almost made it to close previously. So the, the the first place I went was to a big bank that everybody knows, and they had previously approved approved the loan. Well, I went along that process. Didn't think about any other lenders. We just went all along that process. And so this is, you know, March of twenty, you know, right about the time that we shut down, and, and a little bit uh, later, and then um, just got to the end of the final underwriting. It was taking a while and taking a while. And my take on it was it got to the end of the line and the, you know, the banker that was helping me out says, it's a no big deal. It got in VP, somebody that head of underwriting or something, head of credit, shot it down. So we're four months, you know, four months into it. And I get this news and he's, you know, I'm so sorry. I think his name was Eric. I'm so sorry. Uh, later, later it came out that this bank had major, major write downs um, in the middle of COVID expecting, expecting the bad debt. So um i allowed myself to be disappointed for you know the rest of the night and the morn in the next morning i got up i made a list of every single sba banker in town um, started set meetings, calling them, and was asking them r- really a couple of things. And at the time, the PPP program was was really heavy. So one, do you even have capacity to do an SBA loan? They didn't even have capacity because the SBA department was two, three people, and they're trying to manage all the PPP loans from their prior SBA uh, clients, and it was was really, really challenging and taxing the system. So one, do you even have capacity? Two, do you have any interest? Probably talked to 10, 10 bankers in town and av- eventually got to a point. Where, uh, later a, um, a loan broker called me and through a mutual friend he said, you know, can I help you out? And, and and I said, yeah, I've been talking to some people and I went down the list of people that I talked to and he just essentially said, that's everybody I know. Um, and so I, I just, and I'm, I'm uploading the same financial package to every, everybody. Um, so eventually found, uh, I narrowed it down to a couple of banks and in that time period, credit was starting to tighten. You're starting to look at June and July of 20. And I was looking less about terms and more about appetite. Are you willing to do the loan? And the decision is made locally. The decision is made by the local bank. And the, the SBA will back 70% of the loan. So the bank still puts out 30%, plus the, you know, I don't know how long they would have to carry the loss or something like that. So there's definitely risk to the bank. Um, and through my kind of real, um, real estate ventures had, was aware of the process by going to loan committee. And I ended up choosing a bank where I had a friend at the bank and that friend was not part of the decision making, but he was, had the opportunity to sit in loan committee and convince you know, it just speak on my behalf. Uh, for for example, and I, you know, I sent them my headshot. I, you know, told them a little bit who I was and all that type of stuff. So the decision is made right there at loan committee. And one of the things I just fascinated by, and um, was there there is really some focus on prior experience in the business. And so that was the the word that I got from the big bank of why uh, they didn't approve the loan. Uh, but I just I just never really understood that they would rather have given the loan to somebody less financially capable with no managed experience, experience, but a lot of experience in the window and door industry, maybe the technical experience than somebody like myself. And so um, being able to overcome those obstacles, and I think a really good SBA banker, uh, this is essentially the salesperson on on the bank side is going to see where your weak spots are and help you prepare for those weak spots. And so, send all the documentation in. You go to loan committee. Uh, there were still some questions. Had the head of credit. Had another guy um, with the bank. They, they met with me and the business owner, and we talked about the business. And one of the things that's unique about our business we got to explain was it's really not a remodeling business. People are not calling us to. Um, th- they are in some regard, but but the vast majority of customers are calling us because there's a problem that needs solved. We are not selling them windows. They need the window is telling the homeowner you need to replace me and they're looking for the right company. Um, you know call that seventy percent of our business and so really getting the bank to understand that and then share how my business mind, uh, Will help grow the business, and I had a great transition plan with the owner who was going to stay on for three months. Uh, his son was going to, who ran the operations, was going to stay on for six months, and it just went, you know, farther and farther and farther and farther along. You know that you're going to have to pledge everything, you're going to have to personal guarantee it. Uh, but when you are, um, when you're stepping out from a very comfortable corporate career and buying a small business, I mean, your chips are in the table a personal guarantee is just a signature. I know there's a lot of debate you know, in my real estate, do you guarantee it or not? Um, you know, I'm the way I felt I'm all in mean, my life, you know, life-wise I'm all in, it is more than an investment for me. It's part of who I am, who my family is. Um, so it was, it was long, difficult and stressful, but it came out. We, um, so the, the CARES Act I think, um, there was a program where all the, uh, the SBA loan payments or any SBA that was taken out w- by September 23rd of 2020, uh, got principal and interest taken care of for six months. And we closed on that day and it was, um, you know, it was pretty, it's pretty stressful at the time, like going through it. I look back and I chuckle and, yeah, uh, but it was incredibly difficult from anxiety standpoint. Um, in reality it's paperwork w- w- one thing i'll share that uh, the maker said was incredibly valuable was i hired a cpa firm to do some forensic accounting and do an analysis on the books and she was able to produce a quality of earnings report and so you have an this this independent this independent company validating what's in the books. And, and they did a nice job with the books. The, the, the previous ownership, there wasn't a lot of noise that was run through the books. And th- that was one of my um, criteria. It was you know, solely focused on the business. It wasn't lifestyle business. And so she could validate what was observed in the earnings. And so that, that really helped. And I would, it cost a few thousand dollars, but well, well worth the money to get the loan done. So long answer on my process uh, if you got anything you want to explore let me know uh, but it yeah. helps a little bit
0: well you said something like March till September was what's the time frame like it took you six months oh, or...
1: yeah yeah it took now that that is not average at all um, I think 90 days would be is what the banker was ta- telling me about but so I think we first got our APA done in maybe March of tw- and it closed September of twenty. So that was a good six months. But there's, I went through two, you know, two processes, and um, so I think at least doubled, doubled the time. And everybody's looking. I mean, um, banks really, really stressed at this time, just sheerly from on on what to do. How do we help all our existing clients? Versus compared to, oh, here's a new guy wanting to buy a business. Um, let's take care of our own loans first, which makes a lot of sense,
0: right? So I, I picked up two things during that uh, the conversation you were sharing. One is per- perseverance. You didn't take no for an answer from the first guy. Right. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people on the podcast talking about what, what, you, what you did. It was referred to as an LBO, a leveraged buyout. Um, and they would, you know, I've had a couple of guys that really know the SBA process and they, they will tell you over and over again, stay in your lane. So buy a business that you've got familiarity with it. Otherwise, the SBA won't approve it. You just prove that you can get past that, right? It's a it's an experience with local individuals that you need to uh, present to and, and convince that you're the right person to own that business. So uh, that's a good takeaway because I've had I've had at least three guys that like train in this space tell us if you're going to do the SBA route, you're going to do an LBO with an SBA loan, you have to prove to them you have industry experience. So you know so i do though it is in if if you go to a bank that is that, that has
1: uh, authority delegated by the sba you're you're really looking at local decision making not sba decision making and from you know my real estate um portfolio i learned that small banks are much more flexible than a big bank and so the bank that i chose were all They weren't small, small, but they were big enough. And I forget the term that has the delegated authority, but they essentially can approve it. Now, there are guidelines just like a home loan. Um, Freddie and Fannie have some guidelines to make it a conforming loan. But it is, do the people in that room want to put their nickel down? Yes, you have to check all the boxes, but do they want to put their nickel down? And as a banker, I really feel the banker mentality is, let's not lose their... Trying less to make money and more trying not to lose it. And so you can criticize that. You can say there's another way to think about it. Or you can embrace it and help the banker do her job of give them this information. Where are my soft spots? I don't have industry experience. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pull in a partner. I'm going to develop a, a succession plan or something like that to make it work.
0: Awesome. And then the other thing I heard inside of that is, you know, you went from, you know, you, you made a list of all these guys and kind of evaluated who had capacity. Um, uh, there's one of the guys out there, and I haven't had him on the show yet. He's, he's an interesting gen- gentleman, but, you know, he's big on the LBO model. And one of the things he always t- says on his, you know, on his YouTube channels and on his, on his coaching and, and training is there are so many people out there with money. And he's kind of crude about it. Like somebody has more money than you and stupider than you with their money. They're going (laughs) to loan it to you. Right. (laughs) Right, right, Yeah. He goes. I honestly think that somebody could have you know, got the pet rock funded. I mean, I, yeah, you know, that yeah. guy bootstrapped it or whatever. But you know, there is somebody out there that'll do it. So the perseverance. I like the fact that you took a logical approach to it. You you broke this down. You 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 went through the book, buy then build. You you looked at his step by step. A lot of the things you were talking about, I know I know that in that book. I read it. You know, so you know, you really followed that process. And, you know, when the first bank told, you no, you're like, okay, I'll just make a list of every bank in town that can do this and, you know, figure out who my top contenders are and go work with them. Um, I, I think if your second bank would have told you, no, you still would have pulled this off. And and that's not, not, that's not what everybody do. Right. You'd have found the third bank. I don't think that, you know, you have the entrepreneur spirit that says, I, you know, I'm going to solve this, um, where a lot of people would have been told no the first time okay well, i guess i better go sell some more insurance or something so uh there's something yeah, of that. yeah i mean that's you know that's that's a that's a great observation
1: um you know that's kind of that's kind of formula in life too right um you know just can you keep going one step for one step more than the you know your competitor than the guy next to you or just or just not not giving up. I don't know what I would have done if uh the bank number 2 had said no. Uh would I've packed it in at that time. You know, fortunately I don't uh you I you didn't don't have, have to. to make that decision. I appreciate your confidence in me. Um the you know what was interesting is that the it was really so the, the owner, he was about ready to give up because it was just so totally stressful on him too. And just tons of time, you know, it doesn't make any money at the moment. And they were really ready to, to pack it in. They're going to scale down the business and make it workable for them. And the broker talked to him into, Hey, come talk to this guy. And, you know, I, you know, I, I think you'll find him interesting. You guys will hit it off. So there's just a lot of fortuitous things that happen by just not, you know, kind of you, you know, there's, you make your own luck or you're, you're in position to take advantage of the luck.
0: I get that, and and there's so many businesses out there currently that need a succession plan. They need somebody else to come in, buy it, take it over, run it. That I am a big believer that if you talk to enough business owner, you'll eventually find there's there's owners out there where you can't say the wrong thing, right? They they really need to do something. Uh, mm-hmm. They've made the decision in their mind, uh, and it, to be honest, if they stay in there much longer after they've made that decision. They'll deteriorate the business. They'll do exactly what you were talking about. They were about to do. They'll scale it back, but that's not as easy as a lot of people think it is. A lot of times, when they start that scale back process, there's an ebb and flow of, oh my gosh, we just scaled it back too much. We're hurting, and then mm-hmm. trying to build it back. Until the, you know, finding that balance, um, you know, it's kind of like a locomotive train, right? It's you, you can get one going, and it's going pretty well. But if you try to stop it, <laughs> try you know, to stop it, it's tough. You try to, yeah, you try to stop it, and then it's like, oh, oh I, I stopped it. I'm going too slow now. I need to speed it back up. There's, there's some time lag to to getting it backed up to speed. So I'm glad they didn't go down that path. I've seen business owners come to me like, oh, well, we tried to sell it two years ago, and then we scaled it back, and now we're just really going to try to sell it, and it's half the business it used to be. But they still want the price the broker told them it would be worth when it was right. twice the business, right? Right. So. Uh, and my favorite thing to do is somebody calls and you know, we're, we're on the phone. If they bring, I don't bring up numbers at the beginning. I just want to get to know the human being. And then when, if they bring up, well, I want 1.5 for my business. Like, great. Let's see how we can get you there. Right. Okay. You know, and for that realm, sometimes getting you there is like, look, you know, you kind of have to double your income to get you there. Cause you, you just, not only will I not buy it at that rate, you know, I don't think there's gonna be on the planet that will, but you know, good luck finding them. But the other side is, um, you know, the business brokers out there, I, I'm glad that you've, I've not had a whole lot of people on there like, Hey, I'd had great luck with business brokers. Um, there's a reason why I think the statistics is like 80% of all businesses listed by brokers never sell. Hmm. Uh, some of it is on the business side and some of it's on the broker side. It sounds like you had a broker that was like, could see what you were looking for, could match that up and would move out of the way. To let you guys build rapport, build a connection, and get the deal done, and only help you when you're needed, I find that too many brokers actually try to stay in the middle and control everything, Hmm. and like want to be on every single call. Want to be like, I've been on calls where I just told the the business broker, if you're on the next call, I'm not interested. And they're like, what do you mean? I say. I ask the business owner questions. I want to see the response. I want to hear the tonality of it. Right. You're purposely stepping over there, cutting them off and answering questions I'm asking them. I'm not asking them the question to get a yes or no answer or a, you know, numerical answer. I'm asking to get a gauge of where they're at. And I can't do that without hearing, seeing their posture, seeing their, you know, emotional state when they answer it. And uh, the guy was actually kind of honest is like, well, my job's to shield them from making that mistake. They don't, they don't need to show emotions during this conversation. It's like, you're not going to sell that business because you think he, he wants money. And I promise you right now by talking to him twice, he has no interest in what you're interested in. He's interested in the legacy being taken care of his right. employees. You are taking you and your commission are interested in the money more than he is and you're killing this deal. And, uh, you know, I, the guy got mad at me we didn 't we didn 't talk anymore. The business never sold as far as I know. I bet if I looked it up right now, it still hasn't sold and Unfortunately, the paperwork I signed with that broker on my n d a said i can 't contact that business for seven years or some great number It's wow. big like you can 't contact him to buy it after the you know it was it was crude i won 't sign those anymore but uh it was one of my first ones I looked at but you know i we we joke around inside of this space guys are very active in the uh, the entrepreneur, you know, uh, acquisition, entrepreneurism, where we're buying and selling multiple businesses. Our joker is brokers, brokers kill deals, right? Your mm-hmm. broker and your lawyer, when the bro, when it goes to the broker and the lawyer, most of the time that'll kill the deal. Uh They'll give the owner bad advice. They'll give the owner misdirection or like tell the, you know, just stop the, they'll get in the middle of it and mess it up. And uh, I'm really glad to see that we've got somebody here who has bought one through the broker system. I mean, I, I know, uh you know, I know some other people that are like, you know, um, Walker here, uh, Walker Dable. Um, I, that's what, how he bought his, that's that's what he he works with. Right. But I, I think more often than not, like you did, you made a list of, um, banks that you needed to work with. I think if you're going to go down that LBO model, you kind of got to, in your criteria, what you're looking for, you almost have to have a criteria of what the broker has to be. Right. You know, I want a broker who'll make the introduction, who will set up the calls, who might be on the calls, but he'll keep his mouth shut and let me talk to the business owner (laughs) would be one of mine, right? I I really want to know. I want that rapport. I want that thing that you had with him where, you know, you guys trusted each other. And, uh, he's going to tell you when he had some, you know, Hey, there's, there's a hiccup over here, you know, don't crank this lever this way. It, it's bad when you do, right? Yeah. That, that, yeah. that doesn't come out when you've got a broker shielding those type of conversations.
1: You know, it never occurred to me that that was out of, out of character. And, uh, we just, uh, you know, we just, Hey, we, we can deal with this ourselves, right? Yep. Okay. And, you know, the business broker he had hired, so, you know, it was him asking the broker to step aside and, you know, they don't care what I want. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think that it started with having the rapport and, you know, hopefully, um, to how I, you know, introduced myself and caring about the business and explaining what I wanted. Uh, you know, there were, there were goals I would, I would write down. All right, when, when I get out of this meeting, I want this owner to have this feeling of you know, like this guy is credible, he's appreciative. Um, you know, I want him, I want him to have this business. And when you achieve that, and I want your business, and then we can move forward. The, the one thing that I was a little, you know, cautious against is as you become emotionally attached with that person is that you but then still maintain your objective decision making. And you can get so romanticized by the business, the relationship, the story that you could overlook that what some of the numbers are telling you maybe you overpay for it or maybe the business just uh, doesn't do what you thought it would do or, or something like that so I was I, I think there's a fine line um, you know so far I don't think I, I I stepped over that line I think we paid an appropriate price we definitely got a sustainable business um, it was everything you know that as, as expected but I can definitely see somebody like yourself that you know you know has done this regularly. You don't need the business broker at all and in my situation when i was first timer stepping out it was helpful to go to where the businesses were listed and 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 that's what kind of i was attracted about attracted to because the, what the broker does do on the front end is helps the, a good broker helps the business owner gets his books his business his, his house in order you know he stages it for buyers um so that's kind of what i needed is, is, is i go into you know if we look to acquire another one down the line i don't know if i take the same approach uh, it might be more networking. It might be more, you know, talking to people like you, less about going to the broker and asking for some broad-based business. I would see it be more industry connections um, or, or just other entrepreneurs that I happen to, you know, run around with or have in my network.
0: So you're, you've already uh, been down the path where you hired a forensic CPA to give you an evaluation of their books. I would say that you keep that, ar- uh, that tool in your arsenal if you go the networking route. Uh, probably 9 out of 10 businesses I look at that don't come from brokers i have to 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 weed through things they've just and i think there's a magical number i've seen a few businesses over the 10 million dollars in revenue at that point they really have systems processes and things start getting cleaned up they start running like a a a corporation and stop playing a lot of the uh, weirdness in their books and money moving around and you know paying for dinner and movies for their family out of their personal you know, right, out of the business right. account. And I know I've owned business. I've done it. Uh, I don't do it anymore. But like, I, you know, years ago, I've, I, I just paid for whatever. And, and until one of my uh, CPAs, like, you make so you, much work you, for me. Like, <laughs> you need to stop all that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and, and, and that's how you build the business to sell it, too. Uh, you know, I don't know that my plan is ever to sell it, but my plan is to build it so it's sellable. Um, and that it can be looked at objectively by, you know, somebody, the outside and, you know, the same way that I looked at it and running, running all that type of stuff through just clouds, clouds, your books.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, I appreciate you here. It's uh, we're pretty close to the top of the hour. I have your contact information up on the screen for everybody. If you guys want to reach out to, to Daniel, it's, uh. Let me pull it up so I can see it. It's on the screen. It's tiny. It's Daniel Lee uh, uh, on LinkedIn, and it's actually linked the normal LinkedIn.com slash in DG Lee One. So DG L E E One. If you're going to look at that, it'll be in the show notes, and it'll be. in the description, uh, when this goes live, uh, I appreciate you being on the show. I, I asked you a lot of questions. We talked a lot, a lot of topics in the last couple of minutes. Did we miss something or is there something, man, I wish we would have talked about this or, Hey, we need to tell these guys. Oh. This. Um, no, I mean, I think you did a great
1: job of just, um, you know, ask me a couple of questions and let me ramble on about the process. You know, as, as you've talked to probably many people or people ask you about your business, you can just you can go on forever. And, it, and it's, um, you know, I haven't thought about the, the whole SBA loan process. You know, it's one of those things you compartmentalize and forget about. So it's, it's kind of interesting reliving some of those feelings with the conversation. So I appreciate you letting me do that. And if, you know, I, I don't have, uh, you know, all the answers, but I certainly have had a path for myself and happy to help anybody if this podcast or reach out to me directly or if you want to check out our company at windura.com, I'm happy to help
0: any way we can. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, we'll end the show with that and and, uh, hang out for a few seconds after the show. We and I can chat for a minute. All right. Uh, And uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, That's the show today, guys. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich. With accountability partnering, where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E p.m.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.